You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, Jason, and Bill Campbell. And today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about comedy because apparently we need to take a break from politics for a day. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to discuss comedy. We're not going to talk politics today. Let's go ahead and get started because we got a full room tonight. So we're going to go ahead and do the best we can with this. So let's <laughs> and we're going to try and keep it in an hour because I know how much you guys like to horse around and all that stuff, which it's a lot of fun. We all get a big kick out of that anyway. Let's go ahead and get started. So good evening, gentlemen. As soon as somebody's done and as soon as somebody's done in their workshop there or sawing or whatever it is they're doing over there. Um, that would be Mr. Yeah, Campbell. I'm, how are you this evening, sir? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing well. I, I am doing so well. Yes, I was actually filing my feet. That wasn't. You were filing your... Okay, all right. Well, see, today... Right now, I, I might have to change the intro for today because in the intro we advertise that it's no nonsense. Well, today we're going to have some nonsense. So, Absolutely. Marty, you came to me last week and you said we need to get off the political stuff for a day. And I agree. I agree. Everything's depressing. Everything is out of control and we just need to take a step back from it. So we're going to have a day where we're going to revisit comedy. We talked about comedy in the very early on. Uh, when we actually was, I think it was like right around this time last year, we started to talk about doing a comedy podcast and we titled it is comedy still comedy because of the fact that it's changed so much. And we figured now is a good time to sit down and revisit it because everything's happening. You know, like I said, everything's depressing and people are sad and everything. So let's just take a step back from politics for a day. Let's step away from it. And let's talk about something off topic. Let's talk about some comedy stuff. So you have absolutely nothing planned. This was your idea and you have (laughs) absolutely nothing planned. So, yeah, that's true. um, We're just going to let it go. And we're going to which that's usually how we do it anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But let's start with this. First of all, why did you want to revisit this? I wanted to revisit it because I am being driven even more mad uh, by the current um, you know, state of affairs in the world with all the things that are going on. Uh, I'm trying to make sense of it all and coming up with nothing. I mentioned a while back, there's a, a condition called pareidolia. It's the condition where when you stare at something long enough, like a, a, a tree line or clouds, you start to identify shapes, usually faces. And I think it's an evolved condition uh, to help you recognize when there's a predator hiding in vegetation about to pounce out on you. So it's not a mental illness, as Bill really? was suggesting. Yeah, really, it, it's an evolved the condition. Point, the, the, yeah, but the yeah. point I was making is if you're staring at a tree long enough or bushes long enough, you go, oh, there's a face there, it's going to come and bite me. And then there's nothing actually there, it's just your brain. Well, it doesn't matter it. because you'd have moved away, you'd have taken invasive but, action. But then again, how long do you have to stare at something before it changes shape? Well, not long. I could look at the clouds out of my window now I'm, and I'm see faces sure, in there. I'm pretty me. sure a, a lion sitting in the bush somewhere is going to go, oh, he's staring. I think I'm going to eat him now. <laughs> well, the, 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 you can't possibly speak for the lion. You don't no, know I what can't. the lion has intended. <laughs> anyway, I also think that this pareidolia extends to joining the dots up in current affairs. And my brain is working 10 to the dozen, so I thought we'd talk about comedy instead, just for a change, so we can get off all of that stuff. However, as you all know, I joined Twitter for the sole purpose of trolling the libtards that inhabit the safe space of Twitter. And um, particularly James O'Brien of LBC. Now, today, there was a a post by LBC on Twitter. Uh, It says, the mayor of Bristol says the new statue of Black Lives Matter protester on the plinth where the Edward Colston statue previously stood must be taken down too. And the, the LBC presenter asks, what should happen to this new statue? So uh, I quick as a flash replied, scale it down, make it poseable, a new range of Marxist action figures. 
others in the range to include middle-class bedwetter, over-educated, subversive, gender-neutral placard bearer, outraged snowflake, closet Nazi in Antifa costume, deluded Remainer, and triggered libtard. So... So far, uh, I, I think something like 157 people have seen that. No one's liked it. I thought that was funny. That was funny stuff. See, I find that funny. And one or two of you were laughing about it. So um, I, I, I was laughing about it because it is typical you and it's very insane. But there you go. I, I buy the whole set just to throw that yeah. out. I was going to say, you, can, I, can, I get, uh, can I get that on pre-order and then get it shipped to me the day that it becomes available? Can we get this on Amazon? Right. Where, where can we get this? We should do this. We, we should get a range of... <laughs> we'll sell them and fund the podcast. Yes, that's a great idea. Thanks for, thanks for putting yeah. that up, Marty. Appreciate that. We'll put all the proceeds Absolutely. into here. Yeah. Marxist action figures. Why not? I mean, I used to play with action figures when I was a kid. Well, it, it wasn't action figures. It, it was one action figure, which was Action Man. Oh, um, yes. Good old Action Man. And Eli's gripping hands and nothing downstairs. Wasn't it marvellous when those gripping hands first <laughs> came out? Because before that, it was like he had rictus or lockjaw tetanus because his hands were locked in a position that could just about hold one particular gun. But if you tried to swap the gun, the hands were completely useless. But when the the gripping hands came out, it was marvellous until you played with them for a length of time and then the fingers started falling off. It was like he had dry leprosy. But then Palatoy, who made Action Man, they actually sold spare hands. It was like, you know, you could completely rejuvenate your Action Man by pushing in a new gripping hand. And this is getting really, quite dark, actually. I know. I loved I but I love my action man. I also I also saved up the tokens to get the Colditz um action <laughs> man set, which of course <laughs> by now must be worth a fortune and you certainly wouldn't be able to um to buy it anywhere because it had it wasn't an SS uniform, it was a Wehrmacht uniform. Or actually no, I think it was Luftwaffe. Because Luft, the, the Luftwaffe were the ones in charge of the uh, the prison camps. So, yeah. Does anyone want to rescue me from this ramble? Well, yeah. I was just going to let you go on because it's, A, it's entertaining, and B, you're digging this up a real big hole. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was sat back as a bedwetting libtard and just giggling my, giggling my nose off. Look, <laughs> don't be so self-effacing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it takes all the fun out of it for me. If you're going to insult yourself, what does that leave me? You've met me. You know what my humour is like. It's uh, it's mostly self-deprecating. In, indeed. But last time we did this, we looked at some of the. It was the most popular joke at the time. It had won the the funniest joke uh, at some kind of award. And then it was um oh what, what was it? It was um it was about that speech defect or the the, the mental disorder, Tourette syndrome. The punchline was something uh, about. I've got florets because uh, it had something to do with broccoli and cauliflower. I, I do can't remember, remember that. Yeah, I, I yeah. do remember that particular thing. That when you when you mentioned the uh, the florets thing, I thought, okay, that's just that's that's just too it's too dark. Well, but. it's 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 like the dyslexic jokes, isn't it? That that um, you hear about the um, agnostic dyslexic who lost his faith in dog and decided to turn to the other side and sold his soul to Santa instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yes, don't you I'm, think I've any followers? Yeah, <laughs> I'm allowed <laughs> to say this because I am dyslexic. By the way, it's it's all right. You, you've yeah. got dyslexic in the room. Well, well so you could answer this say. question because don't you think it's so unfair that dyslexia is so hard to spell? It's awful. It's awful. But but it 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 uh, it leads <laughs> me to sorry, wanting. It's like the <laughs> word lisp, isn't it? Yeah, lisp. Yeah, it's just cruel. But, but dis- dysle- the, the, how hard dyslexia is to spell makes me makes me so depressed. I have to go and uh, satisfy my carnal desires in a warehouse. What? <laughs> That's a slow okay, I, I have a serious question. I have a serious question. I have a serious question. Since since we're on comedy, right? Since since we're stepping away from all this politics stuff, what do you guys think has happened to modern day comedy? Because I watch some of the stuff that's on television today, and don't get me wrong, I, I've been a fan of of British humor. I mean, you guys have your own little flavor of humor. The French have their own kind of humor. The Germans, the Americans, the Canadians, all of it. And I watch this stuff today, and I just don't find it funny at all. 
I do find some of the more the English side of things. I do find that funny because I do. I'm one of the few Americans that actually understands the English humor. I, I get it. And I look at the stuff today. I, I watch something, say, for example, in the States. And I know you guys get certain programs in the UK from the States, such as like Comedy Central shows and, and things like that. NBC shows, ABC shows. We share a lot of the same shows when it comes to that, that stuff. And I would like to get each of your takes on this because you, you're all from the UK. So where's the comedy? Where Where's the th- the stuff that's supposed to make you laugh? Because I watch the modern stuff, like I said, and it's not there for me. I hear the, the laughter coming from the audience. Maybe it's canned laughter or, you know, a laugh track that they play in studio that feeds through to the final product. But I find that stuff that these talk show hosts and these comedy show people they come up with, it's not funny. It's just not funny. The modern stuff, it's not funny. What do you guys think's happened there? A lot of problems really start off with everybody trying to be politically correct. You know, do, do that little line. I mean, the there was a run of jokes in my youth all about three people going into a bar and and you could pick three certain types of people which you could not talk about today and one of them would have a certain trait which would be picked up on that's forbidden that people just don't do that but you look at the comedians who are on stage and actually do the kind of one night stands and things like that they get laughs because nine times out of ten it's so close to the knuckle that they get away with it and everybody goes no you couldn't believe you just said that so we're losing that spontaneity really I think that's what's gone. I think it's the eccentricity. If you think about the great British humour that we used to have, the 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 pythons, the goody, the good, the, yeah, the goodies, the goons. Uh, the goons, yeah, the goons, all of the those. Carry on, they were, the carry on people as well. Well, yeah, carry on. Uh, they, they all had a, an element of eccentricity to them. That you, you couldn't quite predict what was happening next. So when something came out of left field, I mean, John Cleese even in in Forty Towers, you, you couldn't. Some of it was predictable, but some of it just hit you sideways. And I think that's some of what we've lost is is just allowing our comedians to just be bloody silly because they're not silly anymore. They, I mean. They're guarded now, aren't they? They have to be guarded. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Ricky Gervais. And one of the darkest things he did recently, which is when his wife died of cancer or something, I can't remember what it was called, the programme. But but that was actually, it made me laugh more than some of the other things because he just occasionally hit you with something from that was completely unexpected. And that's what we're very, very good at in this country, I think. I mean, you get the likes of Eddie Izzard or, or Billy Connolly, the, the, the two of my all-time favourites. It's just Billy brings something to, to some lunacy to the stage, and that's always been part of part of what we do, really, I think. I think that's what we've lost. Yeah, yeah I mean, you look, you look at Eddie Izzard and the times where he does his stage shows, they're absolutely outstanding. And in himself, he's actually a bloody good actor as well, which you see him on TV and, and films and things like that. But his stuff on stage, though he has a set, he will quite happily dump bits just to get through and see what the audience react to. Uh, and it is really amazing to watch. The thing is with Monty Python, when I saw the, the show on stage, and there's the bits there you all expect to see and, and so forth, but there's bits there the audience are absolutely wetting themselves because they just do those pauses where something happens and there's a pause. They look at the audience and then they twig on. They go, ah, right. So you again, the spontaneity of all, it works really, really well. I think that bit, but your average comedian and which then appears on TV, they're not given that free reign. They're not allowed to play. One of the silly programs I watched on TV on Netflix was Space Command. Brilliant. Um, brilliant. I actually loved it because it was so close to our stupid sense of humour where you think that's never going to happen. Oh, no, yeah, there it did. And it's great. That's absolutely silly. And I think that's the silliness coming through. But um, I don't actually enjoy watching The Office, either the US version or the UK version. I, I can't get through them, though. Yeah, the Office I mean, UK I loved. I'm sorry, Marty, go yeah. on. There's a lack of spontaneity because people are guarded. When it comes to programmes like The Office or that recent one that Gervais did about you know being a widow, widower, Afterlife, um, yeah, and and that was that was really good. I mean, there there was a bit in that that just had me screaming. It's still funny now, where I can't even do it. I can't even remotely go there. But people who have watched it will know. But what you're doing is you're laughing through the cringe. I said this before, I believe. Um, yeah, you know that what you're seeing is a really uncomfortable and awkward situation, and that builds up the tension. 
And when the funny line, the punchline to that part of the TV show, the, that part of the scene comes, it's a relief. And laughter and a scream are, are flip sides of each other. So it builds up with tension, tension, tension. And then there's this release, which is either a scream or it's a laugh. I've spoiled comedy for myself. I've spoiled it because I've listened to Gervais and I've listened to Izzard and a load of other comedians that I really liked when they've suddenly become political. And funny old thing, they're normally on the bedwetting left libtard side. <laughs> Which is, which is why it's bought it for me. I mean, the last time me and Jason were in the same room, actually Bill was there as well, but he was busy and didn't notice us doing it. We started off the, the whole Eddie Izzard uh, sketch about how he went to France with one sentence of French and decided that he was going to learn French and do his act in France. And the, and the sentence he had was, Le sang est dans l'arbre, which means the monkey is in the tree. And that's it. I just said le sang est dans l'arbre. And la souris Jason... est sous de la table. <laughs> so so it just, it, it, he, he just instantly makes me laugh. Instantly. Yeah. And of course, there's the, most people will have seen the YouTube video of the Star Wars Lego canteen on the Death Star. Yes, yes. That's um, brilliant. I'll have the penne arabiata. You'll need a tray. No, I won't. I don't need a tray. I'll kill you with a tray. I'll kill you with a thought. No, no, no. The food is hot. You know, Izzard is funny, but his politics really piss me off. So it's sported for me because now I can't watch him. So we have to be careful. It's, isn't that close to what we said the other day? It's just because your politics are completely opposite to mine doesn't mean we can't be friends. Just because his politics are completely opposite to yours doesn't mean you can't giggle at him. No, no, I'm sorry. But when you've got such a strong platform as a comedian, a very popular comedian, and people hang off every word you say, you know, some people would put Billy Colony right up there amongst the most intelligent people on the face of the earth. The man started out life as a shipbuilder in Glasgow, as a welder, but he is so well-read, he is so observant, and, and he, he's very smart. So comedians have a status and when they start using their platform and their status to put forward political views, that's when I, I, I go off them because invariably most of their political views are com in complete diametric opposition to mine. I thought you wanted to get away from the political shizzle. Well, we do. We do, but uh, we're talking okay, about comedy okay, let's, and, let's and talk, what works. Let's talk about some non-political comedians like Spike. One of the greatest comedians that's ever come, ever been, Mr. Milligan, Mr. Spike Milligoon, who is about as political as a sock. You, um, you know, you know, it's on his tombstone, don't you? Yes, I told, I told them I wasn't feeling well, uh, or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I told you I wasn't well. But it's, it's he, he, he divorced politics from his comedy as as much as possible. Um, but he was avant-garde, wasn't he? He was he was almost in the same league in comedy as somebody like Dali was as a painter, wasn't he, really? Um, and I think it, you you just watching some of his... He was an absurdist, I think he called himself towards the end. Yeah. But um, you just watch some of his his sketches and you you come away feeling like you've taken drugs because you're not quite sure what you've just seen but you were wetting yourself almost all the way through it he was the he was the guy who got me onto about one of the silliest yet how many surrealists does it take to change a light bulb the answer was a fish i don't know why i laughed at that but i actually died for about five minutes after that so my, my my favourite series of my favourite series of silly little jokes is uh, is it, it starts it starts with Blake walks into a pub, walks up to the bar uh, with a, with walks in with a giraffe, and he um he says pint of Guinness for myself because you always have a Guinness in these in these jokes, and uh, eleven pints of Stella for my mate. Chuck Barman goes all right then, whatever. So he lines up the pints, and Blake gently has a leisurely drink of his Guinness. Well, the the giraffe goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and keels over. <laughs> Blake finishes his Guinness, quietly gets up, walks out the door. Barman calls after him, Oi, oi, you, don't leave that lion there. He says, it's not a lion, mate, it's a giraffe. <laughs> next week, <laughs> next week, 
same bloke goes into the bar, orders a pint of Guinness for himself because you always order Guinness in these jokes, and he, uh, he's got a jar with him. He just pops it on the on the bar and uh, says, and a thimble full of Stella for, for my friend. And the barman goes, he goes, I saw last week after the trick you pulled last week. I'm not doing. It. He says, look, just give me a thimbleful. I'll pay you for a full pint. I just want my pint of Guinness. Give me a thimbleful. But the barman argues till he's blue in the face, and the bloke just eventually turns around. And he goes, why not? He's minute. Oh. The same bloke, and this is this. I promise this is the end of the joke. Same bloke walks into the bar, orders himself a pint of Guinness a week later. He hasn't got any friends with him. And uh, and the, the, the barman goes, oh, thank God you haven't got any friends. He goes, no, that's right. And just finishes his pint, walks out the door. On the way out, he uh, meets two penguins who look up at him and go, there's no point to this joke, is there? <laughs> Penguin walks into a bar and goes up to the barman and says, got any fish? The barman says, no, it's a pub. Got any fish? No, we only sell drinks here. Got any fish? Look, don't say that any more time. Got any fish? No. If you say it one more time, I'll, sn- I'll nail your flipping beak to the bar. Got any nails? No. Got any fish? That's, a, that's my favourite joke ever, but it's visual. You've got to do it visually. You've seen me yeah, do it on the stage. Oh, yeah. You? Sorry, we're on jokes now. Are we allowed to keep telling jokes? Well, just before we do that, Ella, what was that? Oh, that uh, he's looking. He's he's rummaging around behind the bar looking for uh, for nails. Yeah. That's what he's doing. Yeah. 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 Nails. Yeah, um, nice bit but, of rummaging. A bit of rummaging. The next way I wanted to go with this, I, I wanted to examine comedy in the classical sense, as in when I say classical, I'm not talking like back in the days of the Greeks and the Roman Empire and things like that. I want to talk mostly about like Shakespeare here. And I kind of wanted to get the feel of we have a generation of people now that seems like they don't have any interest whatsoever in any type of classical comedy. And specifically, things like Shakespeare. We see the agendas, and I don't want to get too political here at all, but we see the agendas that are being pushed about the erasure of our history. And these types of figures, William Shakespeare, these types of figures, these are important to our history and to our culture. And I guess the thing I'm kind of wondering, the thing I'm trying to work through in my head is, how do we get people to kind of get back into the sense of learning about that type of thing? Because, I mean, when I was growing up, we read Shakespeare. We were required to. We had to. And Marty, you brought it up the last time we did this. We were talking briefly on it. We didn't get too much into it. I said we were going to talk about it a little bit more when we revisited. And we've got a couple extra voices in here as well. When you have Shakespeare, you read it. You're telling me, which I and I agree with you, you read Shakespeare. You really don't get the feel for it. You have to see Shakespeare. You have to see it played out. So how do we get or I guess rather, how do we change the perception of what is considered funny and what is considered comedy today to get people to go back and appreciate where it all started in Western civilization. Which way do you think we go for that? Oh, we're all going to three chime in. I'm I'm expecting. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give a quick, I'll give give a quick bit and I'll hand over to my two lovies who who will, um, I'm a lovey as well, but I'm not. I'd just like to say that you're all doing very well, right? Yeah. That's Mr. Grayson. Yes. From, from Grace Brothers. The way in which Shakespeare will continue to survive is by making it accessible. And they were written as as plays. They were written to be performed. They weren't really written to be read. And it wasn't until two years ago when uh, I watched Merchant of Venice in the open air, performed by my friends, that I actually understood that Shakespeare wrote comedy. And there was a lot of really, really funny moments in it, brought alive by good actors. That's the way I see it. It has to be made accessible and it has to be seen. I completely agree with Martin. I think it's the the, part of the problem is that Shakespeare has been taught to as, as a stuffy classical thing for a very, very long time now. If you think about classical Shakespearean actors, you think about the beginning of of last century where they all had huge voices and it was to be huge pause or not to be it's now we're trying to teach people actually it was a bit more of a conversation and when you get to his comedies it's people think of it with too much reverence it was written for the common man by a common man and if you look at it and you read it in a particular way and sorry if I, I will hand over to Bill who is the expert at this in a moment but there are an awful lot of lewd jokes. There are an awful lot of, of jokes about genitalia, which you don't realise about. There are an awful lot of, of, of jokes about different classes of people. It is not clean 
comedy. It's mm-hmm. not this. It's not this thing to be revered in this in this great in this great way. One of the funniest plays I've ever seen is is no. I mean, The Tempest is not known as a particularly funny play, but I went to see it at the uh, the Globe in London, and the guy who played Caliban. It was the rudest show I have ever seen in my life and it was still just shakespeare's words it was still just exactly the same words it's just the way he acted it every single thing caliban says in that in that play can be taken as a rude and mildly offensive joke and i think that's part of the problem is that the we're, we're too reverential well, yeah, the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, I've worked for them a little bit, and they arranged a, a, a system called the Open Stages, where they're encouraging amateur groups, local groups, whatever, uh, with the backing of the RSC and giving some direction and so forth, is it, to actually put Shakespeare on. But the rule was, you're only allowed to do two hours worth. So whatever play you've got, you've got to do an hour in the first act, hour in the second act with an interval very similar to watching tv so you'll sit and watch tv for about an hour before you go i've had enough i will have a break and you watch another hour's worth and when we started to look at the the plays themselves we either had to pick something that was rip roaring and having lots of fun henry v what they were looking at is you get an hour on one side hour on the other a bit of break in the middle but we had to look at the plays that were entertaining the rip roaring ones henry v and so forth but we then looked at the comedies as well and the more I was given direction and, and talked to the co- to the guys at the RSC about what we should be doing. And they just turned around and said, take all the fancy stuff out, look at the basic wording, and you'll find the funny. And they weren't wrong. They were not wrong. Uh, when we did uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, that's all about boobs and willies and all sorts of sex things going on the whole time. That's what it's all about. Um, when you looked at uh, Merchant of Venice... The idea of a bloke dressing up as a woman should be hilarious. So we actually had a guy with a full beard playing the part of this, the woman. So, you know, it, those are the kind of sillinesses that kind of creep into it. And the audience loved it. We had one guy who had never been to the theatre before. He detested Shakespeare. His family wanted to go and see it and drug, dragged him along. He sat and watched it and said, there's some bits I just didn't understand. I get that. But I could understand what was going on because the actors are acting it out. But he said the funny bits were hilarious. Uh, and the idea was really just to keep people kind of amused about what's going on. And we then had what was the the words, which are funny. Then we had the physical actors as well, trying to make the guys who were playing their parts as such to be a little bit hilarious. We had a, a lovely chap called Joe. He was playing the character of Ariel in The Tempest. And he just spent the whole time mucking about. That's all he did. But it was that, that kind of character who stood in the background. It didn't draw away too much from what was going in the foreground, but he was basically upstaging so many people. And there's one point where he actually has the skull of Hecate and he's playing around with and even pees into the top of it at one point and tries to drink out of it. Again, that's not written down. <laughs> Shakespeare never wrote that down. So as a director, I'm trying to find something that will keep the audience amused whilst uh, having a bit of Shakespeare at the same time. The idea then was, with the RSC, was to say, okay, you've seen a shortened version of it. Come and see the real version, the big kind of three-hour version of it, if you want, up at the Swan Theatre or the Globe or wherever. And that way, they got kind of drawn in and have a bit of fun. But you start reading Shakespeare properly and taking away all the the flowery bits, it's hilarious. It actually is a good old giggle. Uh, And it is, I suppose, you look at our, our British pantomimes, there is Shakespeare in those, where the idea of men dressing up as women and women dressing up as men and people changing all sorts of different things, the silliness, the slapstick, you then overlay that with some Shakespearean old English words and you've got Shakespeare's stuff straight away. Have fun. No, that's the main thing. Have a giggle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's it's just a natural pause. So a bear walks into a bar, says, "What a big pause!" He's on the bear, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> horse walks in, says, "Mum says, what a long face on a horse." He says, "Funny enough, we've got a whiskey named after you because the horse was white." He says, "What, Kevin?" Um, anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to do the duck joke. Three, three, duck, uh, three ducks walk in the bar. First duck goes up to us and says, Can I have a pint of beer, please? He says, What's your name? I'm Huey. Oh, hi, right, Huey. Here's your pint of beer. What have you been doing today? Well, I've been running around, jumping in and out of puddles, having lots of fun. I have. Great stuff. Doing lots of duck stuff. Yeah, lots of duck stuff. Second duck comes up, says, What's your name? Why, Huey Louie. Oh, Huey Louie. All right. Okay. I see you going. 
find a beer as well. Yeah. What have you been doing? Running around, doing duck stuff, jumping in and out of puddles. Oh, that's fantastic. Third duck comes up. This is right. You must be the third one. What's your name? I'm Puddles. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> that doesn't work, though. Sorry. You know- sorry. It's funny. It's funny, but it doesn't work because I hate to get all biological on you, but birds have, a, uh, have an organ called the cloaca and they're almost identical. There's hardly any penetration at all. Oh, hang um, on. Not in ducks. In ducks, <laughs> they have a very, very male ducks have a very large appendage. And oh, okay. In oh, other birds, works, maybe, then. but that in works. ducks, it works. Hey, when I say jumping in and out, you can be doing anything. Of course, of course. So, You're right. with uh, with with your depiction there of of how you have groups that are stepping forward to to perform uh, such plays, uh, Shakespeare yeah. and, and things of the nature, that's a good thing, right? That kind of answers my question. That actually is a way to get people back into it. And you say you've got younger people Absolutely. involved in, in doing yes. this kind of thing, and that's very that's much fantastic. So. Yeah, that's what that's what we need in society. That's what we need in culture because we can't lose that. We can't lose that. The biggest problem we run into today is you have this political correctness nonsense and it's preventing people from being funny. We're losing humor in our society. We can't lose humor. We can't lose comedy. You've got to take these handcuffs off of these comedians. It's ridiculous. And we've got to let people speak. Isn't it at times like this that the the comedians actually tend to to leap up and and yes create some of their greatest work is is when if, when it appears to be disappearing from society is when we get the likes of the goons leaping up when we get the likes of the young ones Rick, uh, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson and Bottom and all that kind of stuff which again they're cringe humour some of it but it it, it it still makes me laugh I mean but it gives all, but it gives that kind of inspiration for other yeah whatever they do whatever they've done in the past gives that inspiration to just try that one little giggle one little kind of step forward and put your head over the parapet and have a go when we when we look at the goons though if you look at the people who were there Peter Sellers Harry Seacombe Michael Benteen and Spike Milligan all were ex-armed forces having just come out from World War II. All of them were serving. And to a certain degree, we'd recognise it now as PTSD. They were all using comedy to get over the horrible experience that World War II was for them. And it helped lots of people laugh about things again and start to enjoy themselves but it was absurd. It was absurd. The, the most funny thing for me was uh, Blue Bottle asking what the time was, uh, asking, being asked what the time is. He says, yeah, I've got it here on a piece of paper. And, and it's, so, <laughs> it's so absurd that it just makes me laugh, even though I've seen it a, a dozen times on the TV program, heard it on the radio show and just recited it to myself. So, Do, do you find sometimes, though, that when, when you use humour, it tends to stick in people's brains a little bit more? Oh, absolutely, yes, of course. Because um, I, when I teach, when I teach my sword fighting and things like that, I start the whole thing off with a running joke just to get across to the student that when they're fighting, they have to think of the movement before and think of the movement that's likely to then follow to actually then look at the movement that's at present. And the joke goes on for a good kind of 10 15 minutes well just well i'll say it later but it, basically it's there to make the, the student remember when we actually get to a fight that's actually supposed to be quite serious we use the mercutio and tybalt fight from romeo and juliet now mercutio it comes across as a character who's i would say slightly on the scale somewhere and he looks at the fight as a bit of fun and he whilst during the fight gets more and more agitated to the point he ends up losing control ends up trying to kill Tybalt in the mistake. Romeo steps forward and stabs him under the arm. Now, the problem is, how do you turn that into something that's worth watching and also it's amusing? Well, we have a lot of soul-searching between the students and myself. We discuss it all the way through. Why does Mercutio do what he does? Uh, In the play itself, it just says, they fight. But it doesn't actually tell you what they do. So we then work out a choreographed piece to fit in. Within that, there is humour. And we had one lad who managed during all through rehearsals and into the show itself, managed to drop his pants and fart in the guy's face every single night. And I was dreading the follow through, but he never did it. But it made the audience laugh. And so the audience remembered the fight. And so when they walked away at the end of the, the evening, they t- nobody was talking about the wonderful balcony scene or anything like that. They were all talking about the, the fight scene when the guy farted in his face. Fart jokes are funny, aren't they? Um, yeah. 
I don't know how, but I discovered that the Tagalog for fart is otot. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. And living in the Middle East for so long, when you used to go to the supermarkets, did I tell this last time? I can't remember. But, I don't uh, recall a Middle Eastern supermarket joke, no. Right, okay. The Middle Eastern supermarket joke. So bear in mind, the word for now, fart in Tagalog... Uh, Hold on just one moment before you go further with that. We do have new subscribers in the United Arab Emirates as of last night. Thank you all very much. We appreciate that. Continue, Marty. Yeah. <laughs> um, salam alaikum. Kifalik. Yeah. So the Tagalog word for fart is otot. Now, in the supermarkets, they have these deli counters with pies and all kinds of pastries and stuff. And when you walk up to the counter and, and point at what you want, the guy behind will invariably say, make it hot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I normally, ta- uh, yeah. So I, I just imagine uh, a Filipino walking up and going, I, I, I want that pie. And the guy going, make it hot, make it hot. And the Filipino going, no, it's the onions over there or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wanted to make a point about what every, well, this whole Shakespeare thing. What you were saying there, Bill, about the fight, because yeah. it just says the line, they fight. And therefore, it's given the director of the play and the actors a chance to put their their own comedy and their own action into that, that point there. Yeah. And Shakespeare kind of, I think he did the same. You talked about classical theatre. Well, I think classical theatre ended when Shakespeare started to write because all of the stories previous to that, all the, the Greek tragedies, the various stories of the kings of England, if they were acted out, they were acted out very formally uh, and without much humour. I think Shakespeare is considered classical theatre, but it was the end of classical theatre. It was the beginning of a new style of theatre. So that was the point I wanted to make. I don't know if that makes any sense. Do, do yeah, you guys yeah, get yeah. what I'm saying there? Yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, today, if you want to make somebody laugh with the balcony scene, your your best bet would be, but soft would like through yonder window breaks, it is the East and Juliet is the Sun, and then somebody will turn around and get up there and slip away. That would make somebody in the audience laugh somewhere, but would it ruin the whole idea? I, I don't know. Well, if it, was just, if, it, if it was just slipped in very subtly, yeah. So yeah. those that were paying attention would, would be laughing, those that weren't. But then again, yeah. it's not it's not kind of what we said about pantos. You then look at the jokes in panto, which a lot of people when you when you say them, I mean, I don't know whether the American humor even gets pantomimes or things like that. But when the dame is telling a joke like I've got a new perfume, what's it called? It's called Come to Me. Let me have a smell. That doesn't smell like and then the line drops off. No one says <laughs> the actual thing. <laughs> I get that, yeah. But that, so if you then have the subtlety me. there, and it and Shakespeare does the same kind of thing. Every it's like I'd rather be a witless fool than a foolish wit, and you have those kind of oh, look at him being clever. And I've actually used this in public as well. I said, oh yeah, see so you've come for a battle of wits. So shame that you're hard. The people yeah. around him eventually get it, but the guy I'm saying it to, looking at him, he's still dumbstruck. So yeah. you can actually use comedy in that way as well. Well, Morecambe and Wise experts at that, making you laugh at the thing they didn't say. Wasn't yes. that? And, the, the, and the two Ronnies as well. The, the jokes there were regularly the things that they hadn't said that you actually found absolutely hilarious. I managed to make a lovely lady nearly say the C word. And it was fantastic because I said, right, the what, evil... Communist. <laughs> the, <laughs> the yeah. evil the yeah the evil king's going to be coming to see you and he's going to say when i'm king i'm going to have this forest burnt down somebody says you can't and then somebody then turns around and says no need to call him that word that's a bit rude isn't it and for a couple of nights she actually said the proper c word i said you can't say that you really can't say that on stage oh sorry uh, remember it we open tomorrow night don't say it but yeah the c word you can get away with it Quick enough. Alan Partridge, which is Steve Coogan, there's there's a whole sketch in his in one of his um series uh with that, and it is absolutely hilarious. But panto jokes are written on two levels, aren't they? Oh they're written for the level for the adult to get the innuendo. And don't you think it's amusing that the word innuendo is is an innuendo? (laughs) (laughs) Um uh, and then it's it's also there for the kids to laugh at the slapstick and and the general sort of ridiculousness of the story and and the overacting of the characters. Um, you know, you know when you're doing it right, when the teenagers laugh. 
Yeah, because they're right in the middle, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so when the teenagers just just laugh, and then they look at their mum and dad and go, "Well, maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that bit because I've just admitted that I understand that joke." And the eight and nine year olds are just blissfully unaware. Then, why, why are you laughing? <laughs> so, yeah, when you've hit it right, you know. Mind you, mind you, 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 we were talking about being politically correct and things like that. A good friend of mine, Kevin, actually the joke when he had the two ugly sisters on stage and the evil queen comes up to him and says i'm fed up with this and by and large and let's face it you're both by and large he actually said i want to keep that in and i said well do you think we'll get away with it and in the end he chickened out he actually didn't put that joke in i thought that was a bit strange actually yeah but in today's climate that probably you wouldn't get away with it it would yeah, be true. considered it would be considered homophobic but we so, were getting away with so many other things and uh, sizest but we will get away with other things i thought so if you really want to say that so i wanted to end on um i wanted to end on memes now everybody you guys all know what memes are it's the photos that are up there that have like all the captions and stuff on them this is where the political correctness you can see it kind of being broken down because you can't tie a meme to a specific person you can label the person that sends it but in the beginning, they don't actually, you can't prove that they actually sent it. They just post it or someone reposts it or retweets it or whatever. But memes, do we think that memes are a good thing in today's society? Do we think that this has an effect on saving some type of uh, humor in our society and, and actually breaking through? Because the political correctness crowd, they hate memes. They can't stand them, mostly because they make fun of people like that. They want them banned. The AI systems that the, the tech companies employ that they're bringing in that are getting more sophisticated sophisticated, they can't recognize memes because they're just taken as a photo. So they don't understand what's actually on the photo. So they can't adapt to them. So they can't block them and they can't shadow ban them off of people's feeds and, uh, and, and news feeds and things like that. So they're out there and you can create them so easily. So what are you guys' takes on memes? Because I've seen some really funny stuff out there when it comes to some of those say, things. I've got to say, I've seen some great stuff. Um, and there are some stuff out there that I look at going, no, that, that's a bit naughty. I can't be having with that. Uh, and there have been some political ones I look at and go, that's just not even funny. I don't even like that. So you have that choice of you can scroll past the damn thing. You don't have to read it. You don't have to look at it. But it, in some ways, it gives you that instant little giggle when you're scrolling through. And is that real comedy? Or is that just somebody trying to be a wit? Or what's going on with it? I don't know. But I've got to say, I, some of them yeah. are okay. I don't know about you, but uh, I find that you have to wade through an awful lot of or an awful lot of very unfunny ones yes. to find the ones that make you roll around on the floor laughing. And I have seen some that have made me laugh for 20 minutes, half an hour, which is great if you're on an ambulance shift. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them, unfortunately, are contextual because I, I have seen an awful lot of absolutely hilarious ones revolving around ambulances. But anybody who's not a paramedic or ambulance staff wouldn't have a clue what the, the, what, what the yeah. funny aspect of them is. But I, I can't help but think that there's there's an awful lot out there and 2% of them are hilarious. Because I'm a member or subscribe to several military sites on Facebook and, and social media and stuff, a lot of those are funny because you can directly relate to them. But I actually think the meme... People just sharing memes. The ones that the ones that create them, you know, round of applause for them. Uh, for the two percent, as you say, that are funny. But people who are just sharing them, that's lazy. I just see that as lazy. I hold my virtual friends on Facebook to a much higher standard. I would rather they just wrote some observance, uh, you know, observation about their day down that was amusing. Have you, have you, hey, hey, Marty, have you ever done a meme yourself? Have you ever created one? No, but I, you've seen my posts. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And every now and I again, I saw one I from you last night. I thought you were drunk. Were you Were you drinking last night? <laughs> uh, which one? No, no. No? Okay, all right. This it, afternoon. It, it was a, yeah. <laughs> you were drinking this afternoon. It was a little odd. I thought I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. I, go on, go ahead. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. So no, I wasn't <laughs> drinking yesterday. Yes, I have been drinking today. I'm going to drink again very shortly. But I think it's a bit lazy just sharing memes. And, and a lot of the time when they are political as well, I will pick the holes in them. Just like I tried to do about ducks and cloacas. But I take, <laughs> but because, he's an, I because, because he's an ornithologist extraordinaire, I will take 
Jason's word for it, that ducks have a slightly different thing going on. What a ducking uh, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was I was just about to chime in and say, when we were younger, because we all come from an era when the internet miraculously didn't really exist, weren't jokes the same? The only difference between the jokes, I mean... <laughs> Bill picked up on on a on a classic with with the penguin joke. Now I know that as the duck joke. Some people know that as the crow joke. So it's 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 different. It's it's the same joke. But when we were younger, this makes me sound so old. Uh, oh, but, bless you. <laughs> but but there, there's a, there's a certain amount of craft to telling a joke. So so you can retell somebody else's joke, but put your own spin on it. I think that's that's the difference. Is I think that's where you're coming from. Is it Martin that it that it's the but that it's that it's a little bit lazy because you yeah. don't have to put any craft into it. Whereas we we'd we'd regularly tell the same jokes over and over again. But okay, okay, they're okay. still funny, but they're still funny because you you can add in your own stuff to it. You can add in your own. Because I, I I tell the duck joke very animatedly on on stage. You know when I was talking about the sword work, I do teach people to fight and so forth. The joke I use that is actually a, a series of jokes that I've nicked from elsewhere, but I've used it in such a way for the student to try and remember it. So let's try it on you guys, see whether this actually works. So how do you get four elephants in a mini? Two in the front, two in the back. Yeah, because I haven't told you the size of the mini. It could be huge. Yeah. So, yeah. so far, so easy. So we then work on concept. The second joke is, how do you know when an elephant's been in your fridge? Footprints in the butter. Two elephants in the fridge. Uh, two sets of footprints in the butter. Three elephants in the fridge. You can't get the door shut. No, 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 no. Three sets of footprints in the butter. Okay, three sets of footprints in the butter. Four elephants four. in the fridge. Uh, there's a mini parked outside. There you go. So we now understand that. The jokes are now connected because we're now adding in the mini and so the concept continues. We then turn around and say, how do you get a giraffe? (laughs) You take the elephants out, put the giraffe in. (laughs) Right? So we then add another joke. So remember, we're trying to keep concept. Now we're trying to keep continuity. Tarzan swings through the jungle, lands in a load of doings on the floor, decides to build everybody a toilet, calls all the animals for a meeting. One animal doesn't turn up. What is that animal? It's a giraffe. Because He's, He's in, in the fridge. fridge. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the students now starting to try to piece things together and understand what's happening at that moment is reliant on what's happening before and the concept, and then the continuity has to carry on. If the continuity has to carry on, we then look at another joke or another part of a joke. You're walking through the jungle. You come across a river, big sign saying, do not cross this river by swimming. You will be eaten by the crocodiles. You look to the bridge, the bridge is gone. You look towards the boat, the boat has sunk. How do you get across and why? You walk across. Well, you swim across, of course, because all the crocodiles are at the meeting with Tarzan. So this is where I've taken jokes elsewhere (laughs) and I've then kind of patched them all together for a a piece of actual study for the students to walk away with and go, all right, I remember now that I've now got to work on the sequencing. So you then look at what are memes today. Well, memes are those kind of little jokes that you can nick and pick up on. And as we were saying with Fruitback was he was looking at the jokes we heard, that used to tell in the past. He used to, yeah, meet at school. Oh, have you heard the latest joke? This and the other. And they were short and punchy. That was our memes back then. But well, you are right, Martin, because what happens now is because it's a case of, oh, I laughed at that. I'm going to send it to all my friends. That is lazy. Yeah, that's lazy. The funniest one I've seen today is Shamina Began, and it's got her, her face superimposed on somebody stood next to Les Dennis <laughs> um, on Family Fortunes, which I spoke no. about the other day. It says, name something you lose on holiday. You said citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> That's naughty. I know, I know. Mind, mind you, I, I did. I actually produced a meme where we had uh, that Christmas red truck, which has got a certain soft drink written all the way down the side. Yeah, other soft drinks are also available. Yes, yeah. uh, I replaced they're that. They're not as good, but they're also no, available. I replaced that sign with COVID-19 down the side and the little note above, uh, the, the next peak is coming. The next peak is coming. So everybody knows the tune. They know the design. Yeah. And like, yeah, I got a few giggles. Didn't get passed around though. I got a few no, giggles. I, no, I, 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 I didn't see it. It's probably been uh-huh. um, shadow blocked because I, I see most of your stuff. But yeah, I think memes are all very, all well and good. And that one today about the ISIS bride who's now being allowed to come back to the UK despite you know the high court was ruled she can come back that to me was very funny but yes. I do think they're a little bit lazy 
Yes. So, uh, have you heard the one about the um, atheist who was taking who was taking a walk in the woods? It was it was a beautiful spring day, like the, the, the ones we've uh, only just recently experienced. The sun was out, the sky was blue, the the buds were just bursting in the trees. He was just enjoying this wonderful walk, and suddenly he was set upon by a werewolf. And as he was being ripped limb from limb, he suddenly he just got on his knees and he said, "God, save me!" The world stopped. Everything stopped, and this huge, booming voice came out of the ether, saying, Why should I save you? You don't believe in me. Give me a break, mate. Five minutes ago, I didn't believe in werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the silly ones. Yeah, why have elephants got big ears? Because Noddy wouldn't pay the ransom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why elephants big grey and crinkly? Because if they were small, smooth and white, they'd be aspirins. Have you ever tried Why, why are there no aspirins in the jungle? Because the parrots eat them all. Are there any final thoughts that any of you would like to make before we end for this evening? I'm, I'm going to end with a poem. The one I want to end with, don't take yourself so seriously. Yes, don't take yourself seriously because nobody else will do. No. Uh, so, yeah. About, poem time. Yeah, poem time. This was by Bill Oddie from the Goodies Annual 1972. It relates to me, you know, it speaks to me, this poem, because uh, as, a, as a teenage boy, I was desperate to get that first kiss from a girl. So it goes like this. Linda Grosgrave kissed me. Oh, what a beastly trick. I wasn't even looking. It nearly made me sick. Her mouth was wet and greasy and her sticky little lips were full of salt and vinegar. She'd been eating fish and chips. I told her she was yucky and she went off in a huff. Well, if that's what kissing girls is like, I'm going to be a... <laughs> I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Th- you're going to have to leave that one there. But that's from um, 1972. That's from 1972. Okay. So, I'll leave you right. a, a couple of thoughts. From, from, um, if, you, if you want to amuse yourself for a little while, find a French person and try and get this French person to speak French with an English accent. In, in England, we take great delight in speaking the French. In the, the English is a French accent. Try and get a French person to do it in the opposite direction. They will not. And you can cajole them as much as you like. It is an impossibility and makes me laugh every Every single time I try and do it. I'm going to follow you, Martin, with with one of my favourite poems from Ogden Nash, which is uh, The Turtle. The turtle lives twixt plated decks, which practically conceal its sex. I think it's clever of the the turtle in such a fix to be so fertile. Wow. That's that's emotional. Thank you. It is. I'm there. Round of of applause. I've got no poetry. I'm afraid I'm just rubbish at this. (laughs) <laughs> okay bruce you have any uh bruce how you doing <laughs> <laughs> do you have any poetry bruce uh n- no this is um uh to be honest this is out way out of my league i i know very little to anything about poetry or comedy or any of these things i'm very uncultured when it comes to this uh, you know i have to I have to admit, I'm kind of that way myself in in certain respects because I'm I'm just so damn serious all the time, and that's what people tell me. They're like, "You just need to calm down a little bit." And some days I do, some days I do, and some days I just need to sit back and laugh at something. And thank you guys for being able to give me that laugh tonight. It's been fun uh, listening to the three of you rattle off about all this stuff. And we will put one together here in uh, here in a few weeks uh, that we will release to the listeners at that point because that'll be our fifth one of that particular one. So we'll be releasing that information. So everyone can listen but i want to thank all of you guys for coming in this evening bill thanks for coming back i appreciate this uh jason as well thank thank you for being here marty always a pleasure having you in here bruce as you're in here every day otherwise you know you got to be here that's just that's just how it is (laughs) yeah and i will end on the saying that i'm going to echo from marty for the last time he was on if you guys are driving tonight make sure you've got a car (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys for your time take care pleasure and from all of us here wherever you are in the world we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible we love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas so we'll see all of you tomorrow 